0: Hey everyone, welcome to the 58th episode of Baseline Intelligence, the podcast designed to make you a better tennis player and a smarter athlete. I'm your host, Jonathan Stokey. Today's guest is Dan Kiernan. Dan hosts the popular podcast, Control the Controllables, and currently works with reigning U.S. Open doubles champions, Gabby Dabrowski and Aaron Routliff. On today's episode, we discuss why doubles communication is so important, paying your daily bill, and how to get in the way of the return. So sit back, relax, and prepare to become a smarter tennis player.
1: All right, Dan, welcome to the pod. Jonathan, thank you for having me. It's nice to, nice to see you. Nice to be on the other, the other end of the microphone.
0: It is enjoyable. It's a lot less pressure when you're a guest on a show instead of the host, and you got to worry about the technology and making sure the episode's good. But your podcast is one of the original ones that I listened to that inspired me to start my own. So it's really cool for me to have you on here and uh, be a guest
1: well it's it's nice of, nice of you to say so, and I think like I said to everyone, it's it's just nice to hear that anybody listens to it, you know when you you sit here in your bedroom or you sit where where you set up the podcast, you know I remember the first couple I was doing in the closet because my kids were working, you know, online during the pandemic. So it's, it's nice to know that we live in a world where we can get these messages out there. So, so thank you for that.
0: So I got your contact from Aaron, who was on the show a couple of weeks ago, right before uh, the WTA finals. And you've been working a lot with them and her partner, Gabby Dabrowski, and they won the U.S. Open. They made this awesome run at the end of the year, like I said, to the semifinals of the WTA Tour Finals. What happens or what's the recipe when two good players like this who haven't had a ton of success all of a sudden kind of find lightning in a bottle? What does that look like?
1: Um, I actually get goosebumps when you mention it because it's, it it honestly and truly has been an incredible three months. And... I think I need to quit because they might actually think I know what I'm doing when it was actually just luck and timing that I came across them. They deserve all the credit, all the credit in the world. And it's, it's been a it's been just a privilege, if I'm honest, to be a part of it, because it's I don't believe in magic, but it's been like magic has come together just in terms of. There's there's a lot of hard work that goes into it well before I knew Gabby and Erin, you know, and as as all, all the stories, there's twenty, twenty-five years of hard work with many great coaches, many great people and family. And they almost came together, I think, at a time where where both of them I mean, they're both of the age where they've got plenty of time left, but it was almost kind of a bit of a screw up moment. Let's just let's do it. Why not? And 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 actually the thing that I have to commend them most on, and, and we could talk for an hour on this and it would probably be 55 minutes before I mention hitting a tennis ball, because it ultimately it comes down to relationships, it comes down to connection, it comes down to trust, it comes down to all of these personable skills that both of them have in abundance, but them coming together and being able to talk so openly and honestly. And if myself and Bruce deserve any credit and I don't believe we deserve lots but if we do I think it's the ability we've had to facilitate that in the relationship you know and to facilitate facilitate some quite hard-hitting conversations um, and and actually those two in particular you know they they're both lovely, lovely people, but they are both ends of the spectrum in some ways, you know, in turn you know, Erin's very carefree, lives her life very, you know, big smile on her face and life's good and friends around her and, and Gabby's a little bit more head down and no, it's in, I'm intense and I need to do this. and and, I, and they've rubbed off on each other in a really, really positive way. Um, but I think the ironic thing is they were they were probably a match away, and I think this is a big lesson for lots of people. If we take the U.S. Open; they were lost the first set of the U.S. Open, first round, second round. They were three all in the third, love forty down on Gabby's serve. You lose one of those matches, and actually you think, well, actually, they'd had a bad couple of matches in Cleveland where they hadn't really connected or or or, or been a team, and that was kind of the start of the u s open run where we sat them down and said, "Look, and we had the saying, Don't be a dickhead you know and that's what you're being right now, you know like come on you you're you're not talking to each other you're not you're not unconditionally supporting each other, which any successful team needs at the at the very base of it." And they completely bought into that, managed to get themselves out of a couple of matches. Obviously, quarterfinal match, 7-2 down in the third set, tiebreak against Townsend and Fernandez and yeah it was it was just looking back it was just it just grew it just grew and grew and the us open obviously happened they'll never lose that but arguably more impressively is how they've then built on that since because i think it would be easy to have that us open win and then you know, put their feet up a little bit or, you know, not quite push forward, but to push forward and have the end of the year that they've had um, says so much about them both. And, and that's now going to be the test in 2024 as well of going, right. We've we've done this, but and and I already feel it. So, you know, we talk every day. There's a really special team bond between us all. Um, you know, and they're they're ready to to put the work in and, and keep working on the processes uh, that they know are in place. And I think we're helping them with. And um, hopefully, the byproduct will be a, a few more a few more victories and a few more experiences along the way as well.
0: You mentioned that you may be able to go 55 minutes before you talk about on court tennis or tactics or technique if you were a doubles player out there an adult a young junior and you're hearing that would your advice then be hey you know what learn how to communicate learn how to be a good partner from the relationship side first and
1: then focus on the tennis 100% I think well like absolutely 100% I think ultimately and when we talk about communication which is obviously a big it's a big thing uh we have podcasts so we we obviously like to communicate but I, I don't know the exact stat, but something like 87% of communication is nonverbal, you know. So when we're talking about, and I talk to the kids at the academy about this all the time, you're talking all the time. You're telling me you don't want to be here. You're telling me you really want to learn. You're telling me you don't want to play with them. You're to, and and those are the bits. And look, I mean, Gabby's been a Wimbledon finalist, 2019. You know, what I mean, and they're both very very good tennis players. But I think both of them maybe didn't quite understand the power of that. And 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 if we're talking club tennis, absolutely. If we're talking junior tennis, absolutely get that right, you know, get, you know, be, be a good partner. Any good team is built on that, you know, be the person that makes your partner feel a million dollars. And, and, and and that's where that's tricky, I guess. I, I could play with you, John, and you might want somebody who's really pumped up and who, you know, is giving you that feeling and, you know, putting you on a pedestal and come on, man, you're the man somebody else might be that person that wants the partner to be just just a bit more chill you know and and be there not say too much and be in their face so so that's why I would always say the best partnerships are the ones that spend some time getting to know each other you know and that starts off the court and I would say yeah ask you know I think there's nothing wrong with asking the question you know how would you like me to be You know, is there is there anything that you like me to remind you to do? You know, it might be encourage somebody. I I listened to Erin in the gym this morning. Actually, I thought I I need to make. I I didn't realise she'd done it, so when I heard she did it, so I listened. I know she talked a lot about poaching, and you know, so we have a. I have a big thing that certainly the girls would have heard is I love I love my players to want the tennis ball. I think a lot comes from the intention and the desire. You know, and if that's something that you might say, okay, John. On, if you play with me, just remind me to want the tennis ball, you know. And if I feel you've got my back on that, if I go and I try and get the ball and I miss the volley and I turn and you're rolling your eyes at me, which is communication, <laughs> then then I'm not going to do it again, right? You know, and that's so. So I think that's certainly the starting point. Um, you know, because we all, we're all we all human beings. We all perform better when we feel comfortable and we feel like we belong in a situation. Um, and, and I, I think there's no, there's no reason all of us can't be great doubles partners. You know, all of us can't hit a forehand like Carlos Alcaraz, but we can all be great doubles partners. So that would absolutely be my starting point.
0: You mentioned that you like your players to want the ball. Is there an on-court principle or foundational theory that you have about doubles that you'd like all of your doubles players to kind of implement on the court?
1: There's lots. Um, there's lots. I mean, the, the, the overarching philosophy that I would have, and I'm very fortunate to have the great Louis Cahier as my mentor and i have to mention louis i can't be sitting here saying these are all my things um because louis louis has taught me so much and i'm very fortunate to have had the time that i've had and continue to have with louis and and that the whole the whole system of philosophy is built around providing stress to your opponents getting them in a position you know tennis is a muscle relaxant sport And, you know, by, by the territory we cover, by the positions that we're in, by the shots that we take, we're putting our opponents in a position of stress, you know, and that's, that's the starting point. If I would then say one thing that I think is a really, it's quite a nice way for people to think about doubles and I'll use, I know I'm going to use professional statistics But this does go down the levels as well. So last year, we haven't got the final statistics on this year. Last year on the men's side, Rajiv Ram was the highest in terms of percentage of points won as the server's partner. And when he touched the ball as a server's partner, he won 89% of points. Now, the greatest ever on the men's side has been the Bryan brothers of when you touch the ball as a serve, as a serve volley or as a serve and stay backer. And they've, that was at 62%. Okay. So we're talking about almost a 30% difference or chance of winning the point, whether when the ball gets as a returner if the ball gets past the net player. Yeah, so so if you're a serving team, your percentages massively increase when the server's partner hits the ball. And this is something I think is quite a nice way for, for for people to think of it. Your job is to call a play to get the net player in the way of the ball. <laughs> That's ultimately what you're trying to do. You know, can I get my and if I get in the way of the ball, now the second part of that is getting the returner to hit the return that they don't want to hit. (laughs) Because if they hit the ball where they want to hit, you're going to be there. So you're in the way. So now they have two options. Do I hit my favorite return and know that the net player is going to be in the way? Or do I now try and hit a return that I don't like or don't want to hit? Now, that accumulates over time. And if you're doing that in the biggest of moments you know, we all fall, our default setting is to, is to fall to to what we're, we're, we're used to doing and what we like to do. So if you're forcing people to do something they don't like to do, there's now a big stress and a big pressure. <laughs> and if we go back into what we're talking about, that's the name of the doubles to get someone into a stressful position, you know, and can they execute that? Can they execute that while they're now uptight and their muscles aren't relaxed? You know, and I think that links in a little bit to what Aaron was saying about the tram lines, you know, hitting the, hitting the returns into the tram lines. If someone's favorite return is cross court into the tram lines. Okay. Well let take it away. <laughs> can they, can they now hit down the line into the tram lines, you know, or, 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 or vice versa. And I think that's just quite a nice way to think about it. You're trying to get the net player to play as a server and you're trying to avoid the net player or cause a little bit of chaos as a returner. And those are some quite nice, just simple philosophies to, to try and stick to.
0: I'm curious your thoughts on this one, because a lot of the adults or lower level juniors that I work with that are just getting going, they go, Hey, that sounds great. Yeah. We want the the net person to get the ball, but my serve stinks. Or my partner's serve is very slow. So they're not under stress. So I don't want that ball. What is your what is your take on that? When someone has a serve that's not super effective and doesn't put the returner under stress,
1: I think it's it, it's a it's a really good point because a, a a lot of these, not all of them, but a lot of these philosophies are, are are built upon a quality of shot. So, so I first thing I would say is it's a fair point. You know, I watched a I watched my son playing an under fourteen tournament this weekend. Uh, team team match and actually we do a lot of doubles with the youngsters and I was really proud of our youngsters, how they were doing the right things Whereas the, the two players were great singles players they played against, were like stood in the tram lines and the ball went close to them and they were so they were unbelievably scared, so I, I do there's a couple of bits, one I think you can you can certainly teach the right fundamentals, you know, and maybe if that is the case you give yourself a little bit more room, you know you move back a little bit, you're not Doing the Brian Brothers on top of the neck because your head might be taken off, you know. So I still think you can get your positions right, you know, and you can stand in because ultimately it goes into the philosophy of winning long term, you know. So let's teach the right things, but have an understanding that there's some adaptabilities in there, um, or even an understanding that you might lose the odd match um, if we're talking about the served really being dire. I'd probably go back to saying that's the main focus to work on the serve as well you know like there's only so much there's only so much you can also do you know to to be able to 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 play to these skills i mean you see it on the top the top of the women's game they play two at the back sometimes when they're serving i'm not a massive fan of that and I'm not sure I would have it in me to allow my juniors to start doing that, Uh, you know, because let's get good at defensive volleys then, you know, let's hold your position and, you know, be able to deal with the ball coming and redirecting Uh, would tend to be my way of going, but I'm not a short term, let's get this win today type of guy. Even at the top top level that I'm fortunate enough to be working at, I'm very much a, a let's let's stick to processes, let's develop, let's grow, and along the way you might pick up some nice wins a- along the way, and I, and I, and that's my more my belief than let's just do whatever we can to win right now. Do you have
0: a favorite doubles drill that you like to do with your players?
1: I have a what I would call an extended w- warm up and. Uh, I wouldn't want to just go into the drill because I'm I'm a believer in pick the skill first and then go into the drill of the skill you know, so if we're working on specifics, then I wanna know what skill it is we're working on, you know. So is it that you're working on um service service partner taking the middle ball? Is it is it that you're working on defending in the wall position? Is it that you're working on you know, return as partner getting closer to the net? Is it that you're working on your your smash, but are you working on your overhead? in a defensive position where it's a great lob, you know, there's so many, there's so many different skills. Um, But what I am a believer of, which I, which I hope might be helpful is I'm a believer that there's not a lot of doubles happens in neutral situations. Um, You know, singles, you will have a lot more neutral rally situations. Um, So I do, I am a big believer in working in offense defense. So, rather than rallying, rallying, rallying cross-court, we might do a minute of that, but then one person one person is offensive and the other person is defending or counter-attacking. You know, when we're volleying, one person's volleying, maybe one person is then attacking the volleyer, so you're dealing with the, more of a defensive volley, you know, and putting all the different situations in that because I would say everybody would have and I'm talking specific to doubles here but I think singles is very similar maybe two or three key objectives that they're working on at any given time but you've also got 25 to 30 maintenance stroke development areas as well you know so so that's why I like with the doubles players I like kind of a 25 to 30 minute warm up that incorporates all of the situations and and breaking them down into offense and defense um and and then obviously depending if it's day before a match we go more specific against the opponent things about what they're about their opponent if it's more of a development phase week before a tournament or a little training block then we go more into the specifics that that player is player is working on
0: so you've worked with Great pro players. You're working with Aaron and Gabby now. You've worked with Lloyd Glasspool for over 20 years, but you also run your academy in Spain and work with great junior players. On your website, it says you're a boutique academy. It's highly personalized. So of course, I'm going to ask you a very general question here. But if you were to work with a player and each player is different, but what is the percentage of time that you would work on maybe technique, the technical side of a stroke? Versus the tactics, how they play, the mental side. What What is that give and take there between those two?
1: The two most used words I think in tennis are and should be, it depends. So it depends. Um, and that's not a cop-out, you know. But I can I can tell you the process we use. So, I mean, I, I pride ourselves, and I, I'm not here to talk about any other academies. I know there's lots of great academies and lots of great coaches in this world, you know, we're just trying to do our best that we can do and we individualize everybody's program at the academy you know so that, so we would have academy led sessions and we would have individual led sessions that doesn't always mean one on one but it would be we'll do out of the 10 roughly 10 sessions a week you probably six of them are individualized three or four of them are more to to an academy syllabus i guess you know so monday mornings lots of volume wednesday afternoons always doubles tuesday afternoon sets conditional sets from a, a mindset standpoint um but so what we will do is that all players will have their own plans and that will start with where are you and where are you going and why yeah and, th- and that then gets broken down and the example i use on this is 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 we're then going okay so we've got a fifty thousand piece jigsaw that's like developing a tennis player, which is very different to just improving a tennis player. So we want to develop this fifty thousand piece jigsaw. So we need a picture. If someone takes the picture away we're in, we're not in a great position here so so let's get the picture clear. you know what are we trying to create, and then we'll 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 boil that down, simmer that down into the key areas in that in that period of time. Now that key area might be and we've had big technical change that have changes that have happened. My personal philosophy, I'm not massive on big technical changes, certainly at a certain age. Um, However, if that technical technicality is stopping you from performing to, to a certain level and doing what you would need to be able to do with the tennis ball, then we need to change it, you know? So it might be a case of the next four weeks is big, big work on a certain technical area. Um, If if the mental side has been the big area identified that's preventing you from being the player that you are, then let's prescribe the right program for, for that. You know, if it is more about game identity and, and, and tactics and how you're trying to play, then that would come out in the prescription once we've done our observation and we've gone through that all. Um, and I guess for me, that's then the real skill of the coach to be able to, to to get that plan in place there's then academy led sessions will still provide the maintenance on volleys on drop shots on slice on the ability to serve and third ball you know there's a, there's a bunch of things we have to do as tennis players but what are those two or three key areas and objectives of development over those that next period of time and that will really really depend on the player their age stage of development where they're where they are currently at where we see them going um so it's a hard question to give a definitive answer other than that process happens and it depends on 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 the player
0: on your website you've got it i'd call them like six core values but it was listed as the six p's and one of them was pay your bill and I didn't know what that meant. It was intriguing. And so I was wondering if you could elaborate on what that one is.
1: Yeah, so we need to also update the website because our big values now, we call it growth, um, which people are coming to grow. We're here to grow. It's actually, I think, the number one thing that Gabby bought into me bought into me for um, you know she was at the stage of her career where it was about growing it was about you know she felt she'd maybe wasn't developing you know and it was all about growing rather than winning so that's the the starting point which which stands for growth that uh, which stands for gratitude sorry the g is gratitude which is a big thing respect ownership want so an unconditional effort the daily bill so it's still in there so i'm going to get to that and then honesty and humility um and the and the daily bill is is ultimately there's something that you want in this world there's a there's a bill to pay for it you know i want a six-pack but i don't have one and i'm nowhere near having one could i have a six-pack i could it's it's maybe a little bit harder for me than some you know but i can have it but it means i i better work bloody hard i better watch everything that i'm eating i better you know have i been willing to pay that bill in the last 20 years no probably i haven't because look at me i haven't you know so i i i can't complain you know so if you want to be the best tennis player you've got to be there's a bill to pay (laughs) and you know that bill isn't just turning up to your sessions you know that bill is sleeping right it's taking care of your food. It's doing your morning gratitude. It's doing the extra stability work, making sure you're taking care of your shoulder. You know, it's making sure, and again, I can't stress enough how well Aaron and Gabby have done this and they've bought into this. You know, it's watching the video. You know, you play a match. It's easy to just go out and have your meal and forget it. No, but they watch the video. Then they watch the opponents. The number of times you'll see Gabby pick up a smash from their opponent, that's not luck that's because she's watched the opponent play 10 matches and she knows that when they smash they like to go cross court so she's there to pick it up you know so there's there's a bill to pay to be good at anything you know and that's every player will have their their lists and that might start there's actually something with liam brody we started a long time ago maybe kind of 12 15 years ago now and the list started at two and it ended at 25 you know and it was like i've got those 25 things i've got to do every single day um and it's a nice it's a nice piece of advice for any of us that want to do anything or achieve anything in life uh so that's that's the bill that's the bill you pay i love that
0: all right, we're going to finish up with some Instagram questions, questions from followers that probably listen to your podcast and know all about you. The first question is, what is the most transformational idea or concept that you've learned through the podcast? Whew. I know, a tough one.
1: <laughs> and, you, uh, and you haven't uh, sent me these in advance. Um, that's smart. Um, okay, that's there's you know what why that's a tough question is is what the podcast has has done is it's helped cement certain ideas or challenge ideas. And I'm a bit of an old boy now. I've been around a while, so it it's helped me stay a growth mindset. Um I but I would say, and actually funnily, we've we've just put a, we've just done our first podcast short this week, and it's It would be wrong of me not to mention Valerie because Valerie Condos Field, UCLA gymnast coach, she definitely had a very profound effect on me with the way that she spoke um, and her whole concept that winning doesn't always equal success. And that's something that I've played around in my head before. But she articulated it so well and spoke about it so well that really cemented that idea of, in my head that, that has then gone on to, to really help me over the last two or three years in terms of how I get that message across to players you know, and have these, having these varying success measures. And I, and I think too often in our sport, the only success measure people have in place is winning. And and you listen to Valerie's story and the gymnastics and anyone that's followed USA Gymnastics over the last 15, 20 years will know what I'm talking about. It can't just be that winning's the only success measure. Um, so, yeah, I would say a big shout out to Valerie Condosfield. I would say she's definitely transformed my outlook and and helped me on, in, on that side of things.
0: Next question what do you do as a coach to keep players engaged and motivated
1: I think the first thing is is understand them where where are they and where do they want to go you know and I think I think once you once you understand where a player is in their life and where they want to go and why they do it and uh, uh, it, you then are in a relatively easy position because uh, the things that are then put in place all all link all link together, and and I, and I think this is where for me. So I, I it's actually my my philosophy. I call it watch your code, and the watch your code is all about player development and the, and the C, the C stands for connection. So first and foremost, you need to connect with the. With the player, you need to connect with the person. You need to understand where they are, where they're coming from, yeah. you know what their values are, what their beliefs are, what they want to achieve, what their purpose is. Once you get that done, they also need to connect to you as well and understand you and your non-negotiables. You know, we with the girls, we have it on our WhatsApp group. We have the non-negotiables very, very clearly set out there. Then, if you've got the connection, you then put an order. I'll help them with an order, an order to their life, an order to their mind, an order to their game. And once you've got those things in place, you can then help them develop, you know, and, 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 and then the E is for evaluation. So that you're then evaluating as you're going. But yeah, in my experience, if you get the connection right, if you get the order right, then actually you can start to develop and and motivation shouldn't be an issue. And I would bring this down to the micro level of a tennis session. I don't start a tennis session until I've set the scene, you know, and I very, very clearly am connecting to the players at the start of the session. What do I have today? Are you ready physically and mentally for this session? And I'll often do a thing. We have the clay court. So it's like having a whiteboard or blackboard, put a tick in front of you, if you are ready to commit for the first 20 minutes of this session and give your best physically and mentally. And they do their tick, and it's like, okay, just get let's get to the first drinks break with you all giving your best. And then I'll have those check-ins every time throughout the session. So what that's doing is that's giving the player the ownership of the session. It's very hard to then play up. <laughs> If you don't it, when you've ticked a, tick put your line in the sand and you've said, "I'm here, I'm here coach, I'm ready you know and I, and I and I often find a big pet peeve of mine is when I see coaches walking on court and the players are hitting a few balls and the coach is still not really there or engaged, I think you're starting off on the wrong foot and there's a real chance now that you're going to lose the session early um, so I would use that as a micro of just the session but also a macro of, of developing a player over a period of time.
0: I'm gonna get greedy and feel free to, to reject me on this one. But you mentioned non-negotiables and the WhatsApp. Is yep. there a single non-negotiable that you can share without giving away the state secrets of that doubles team?
1: Don't be a dickhead is the number one, you know, and that and that and that's that sits there, you know, and you know, unconditional support no matter what. You know, those that's the that's that's the basis. Um, you know, if we if we're not doing that what's the what's the point you know if we're not able to we're not able to bring that every single day and we can't hold each other accountable to that and that's that's the girls that's the coaches are around that's the absolute starting point point. and if that does happen and the unconditional support and I would say it's the same I have with my team here in, in Soto Tennis once it you, once you're in the match it has to be unconditional you know, you might not agree with something, but you, after the match, if there's a hard conversation to have or you're not happy with how something happened, then you have the conversation afterwards. But once you're in the line of fire, you're together, you're a team, you stick together unconditionally and you just don't be a dickhead and you won't go far wrong.
0: I'm not going to, but you're making it really hard for me to not name this episode, Don't Be a Dickhead. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you, you, I uh, love it. You, Well, uh, you can't just do the... So that's what asterisks and at signs are you know people people will get the concept
0: <laughs> i love it and last question what is your best advice for the 40 doubles player
1: pick pick the right partner is the starting point for any good doubles team and I, and i don't think any but people often don't spend enough time on that and I, and i would honestly say that in terms of pick the right partner from a personality standpoint because all of us play tennis and need to fundamentally play tennis cuz we enjoy it right so so someone who you're going to enjoy time with it's your it's your time that you're giving up it's your recreational time so so pick the right partner but also if you've got if you've got a serious interest in being good and being a successful team also try and pick the right partner that that complements you you know in terms of how you're playing you know if you're someone who likes to be at the net and finish at the net you know look for that big server to to go alongside you you know if you're someone who maybe doesn't serve so well you know you might need to make sure you've got a volleyer who can who can who can handle that um so i would say getting the spending a bit of time to get the right partner is 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 a really important piece of advice and then once you've done that then unconditionally support them you know make them feel like a million dollars and see because we we all have a lot more inside us than we realize you know and that's something that i got told at indian wells this year there hadn't been a women's doubles team that were both doubles players that have won a grand slam in 23 years and i got told it's not possible women's doubles teams that are both women's doubles players do not win grand slams not true and that and that strongly strongly certainly motivated me but that was something that certainly Aaron and gabby have proven you know you come together as a team why the hell not you know don't so don't set a ceiling pick the right pawn unconditionally support them and who knows sometimes a little bit of magic happens
0: dan can't thank you enough thanks for sharing your doubles knowledge your your general coaching philosophies and giving us your time today
1: Thank you. And John, and and a big well done to you on all of your endeavors. You know, we've been following you for a while. You know, I know my wife has been saying for a while, what a, what a great job you're doing on all of your social media and and, and all of those things. So a big, big, well done to you and uh, keep up the great work. Thank you for having me.
0: All right. I want to thank Dan for coming on the show today. I learned a ton as always, and I love the way he phrased getting in the way of the return. It makes perfect sense. You either set your net player up to pick off their favorite return, or you force your opponent to go with their weaker return. Either way, you win. I also want to remind you that bonus episodes are now available on Apple. Thanks to everyone who's already subscribed. If you haven't, you can simply subscribe from the Apple Podcast app with a free trial. If you don't use Apple, there's a link in the show notes to subscribe through Captivate. And then I've also recently started a YouTube channel with longer instructional videos and clips from the podcast as well. So there's a link in the show notes to subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. Thanks again for listening and supporting the show. I hope you just improved at tennis without even hitting a tennis ball.